every author obsesses over one single date, the day their book gets published, their pub date. All those rigorous edits and deadlines leading up to that one infamous day when the book and author has been living, breathing, and conceiving for years is launched into the world. This is a show about pub dates, a place where we delve into the story, behind the story of how a book comes to market. I'm your host, Allison Trowbridge. I'm an author myself and the founder CEO of Copper, a platform that connects authors and readers around books. And I'm your co-host, Alex Hudgens. So welcome to our pub date. Pull up a chair and grab yourself a libation. We may not be in a pub, but we'll definitely be raising a glass in celebration. Luke and Ryan, welcome to Pub Date. We are so excited to have you. We love, love, love having authors. We have a lot of aspiring authors in our audience. And so it's really awesome to bring authors on, talk about the publishing process, talk about storytelling and all of that fun stuff. And with you guys, I'm extra excited because I believe you are our first graphic novel. If that's not right, edit this part out, everybody. <laughs> but I'm really excited because we got a new a new genre in the mix. So if you will, please introduce yourselves and then we'll get started. I'm Ryan Silbert. I'm a co-creator of Alliances alongside Luke and Stan Lee. And we have a new project coming out that we're on Copper talking about, which is Orphans, our first original graphic novel in the series. I'm Luke and I'm excited. This This thing was a lot of fun because it was an opportunity. The nice thing about graphic novels, you can do this in, in traditional publishing too, but we were working with some legendary artists who really had an overactive imagination that could kind of match our craziness. And the goal with, I mean, the nice thing about the graphic novel format is we, we could just blow up the story. We could make it huge. The scales are cosmic. You know, the characters can just be fun and a bit off the wall because of the nature of the forum. We could kind of like, you know, I mean, there's rules to good storytelling, but outside of, you know, maintaining sort of Stan's rules of storytelling, we, we had a, we could, we could go a little nuts with it, which is what we did. That's really cool. Oh, I have, okay. I've got a million questions. Let's dive into why this story in particular. Now I want you guys to get into the plot, but I know there's a lot of, there's found family. There's some superhero stuff. As far as I'm concerned, we've got powers going on. Like why this story right now? Well, the concept, so orphans is a, is about a few things. The orphans themselves, so start from the beginning. One, this is actually the third work, right? There was A Trick of Light, which came out in 2019. There was New Reality came out in 2021, and now Orphan. The mm-hmm. other two were audio, audible originals slash traditional publishing novel. That, those were these four, that, that was those formats. So part of the reason that we're, you know, we're doing this, this story now is because it's sort of a planned extension of the universe that we're building. The concept though, is that there was, we set up early that there was a a hive that sort of dominated the inner rings of our galaxy. And what, when they would wipe out a planet, they would keep one member of the species as this kind of, you know, one sort of exemplary member of the species 
as the lone survivor of their race. And so the orphans are literally the last of, of each of their kind. And they sort of band together and find family. And they, but they were kept as almost like science projects. You know, mm. I mean, they were kept in kind of a, like a spaceship zoo to be experimented on and whatnot. And I don't want to give too much of the plot away. The other concept that we're playing with, which sort of rolls out of the sort of general themes that we were working on with Stan back in the day, has to do with technology and our relationship with technology. Mm. And one of the concepts here or the concept that's specific to orphans and kind of new to orphans is the idea of inventors sort of breaking barriers and creating things without necessarily thinking through all of the unintended consequences of those creations and what can be done with them. So Mm -hmm. the inventor just, he just invents and without giving too much away at some point he's, he steps off, you know, exit stage left and now there are all of these incredibly powerful devices littered around the galaxy and whoever can collect them will control the balance of power. And they all do these sort of different extraordinary things. And he was sort of an irresponsible figure. I mean, he was just kind of a pure creative who just, who just made stuff without really, it's like, you know, the first people who created the internet I don't think we're seeing all the ways in which it would be misused and abused and, you know, create all these problems in our culture. They were just thinking, look, cool, a communication device. Look at this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that, that is you can create a network, you know, they didn't really think about all the ways in which it could be misused. And it's probably not possible to think of all the ways that these kind of things can be misused. But mm. I think that that's, that's the question that Stan asked very early in the development of Alliances the Universe, which is what is more real, the world we create, we're born into or the world we create for ourselves? Mm-hmm. And it was a question that he was asking throughout. He always started with these big what-if questions. And the inventor, who's introduced in the original graphic novel for the first time visually, and really from his point of view, we really start seeing like the – I mean. Stan has incredible ability to look around the corner and see sort of where the world might go or could go mm-hmm. and in a very positive way, but also in a kind of like big idea way, which was, okay, so now we've empowered story people to create devices. What do you do with those devices? And do, does an inventor even think about the dilemma of what could be done with the original intent versus how, how it's, you know, been taken over by, what Stan would call the fan base, you know, fans, but like mm-hmm. here in this case, it's society and the world at large, because, you know, that's, these are the big ideas of, of alliances, but in orphans, it's a fun back to the roots, sci-fi, you know, serial. And that's for my, for me as a fan, it was fun to explore with Stan, a different kind of aspect of his storytelling abilities, which wasn't just somebody gets bit by a radioactive spider <laughs> gets powers it was like big science fiction questions and ideas and like looking to the stars and creatures from outer space, that kind of stuff, the stuff that he was exploring in the 1940s and fifties. And, you know, that's a fun place to talk to, you know, a master creator about. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I probably should have led with, tell me about working with Stan Lee because let's go. That's 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 its own. So you you (laughs) You led with stories. So I'm, I'm actually very, 
Well, I must say, I, I'm so intrigued by the story. Even just what you guys just talked about, I'm like, okay, I hate no spoilers because I want all of the information, but obviously I'll just have to read it. Yeah, Sounds fascinating. Sounds like something... I mean, I have so many questions already just about how do you, I don't even want to say contain because I don't want to contain or control stories, but how do you keep track of all of this? I mean, you're literally talking about a universe <laughs> that you have built in our building. Do you have just a huge, like a room that's just a whiteboard and you guys go in there? Like how, especially when you're working with more than one creator, I mean, you guys are working together, you worked with Stan. How do you keep track of the story? What I would say actually is for me, when it's an organic story, it's not as hard to keep track of as you think. I mean, mm. there's a lot of moving parts and you have to keep notes and, you know, you have to, you know, we have a lot of notes and you have to try to have some sort of organizational structure to your notes or you drive yourself crazy. Mm-hmm. I don't really have, like when the story just is flowing, I don't really have that much trouble tracking it and tracking with the characters. Cause like the, you know, why, why is the character doing this? Well, if you understand the character, you sort of already know what their motivation is for doing it. If you've been mm-hmm. consistent with that motivation throughout the projects, then you kind of know why they're doing what they're doing and what they did before. And like their stories have their arcs and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's actually, it's not as hard as you think when, when it's being done right. I mean, I, I, you know, I can't speak to something like we're not the MCU yet. I'm sure that they have teams of people trying to track <laughs> You know, but we're not we're not there. That's not where we are. So, but, yeah, go ahead, Brian. Yeah, but Stan created this. I think maybe we take it for granted, Luke, because I mean, you know, the Marvel method is a collaborative style of making stories. Whether it's a comic book in this case, his original graphic novel, or in our authored work, it's he's a collaborative. He was a collaborative person at his at his core. And the Marvel mm-hmm. method for those you know who aren't familiar as listeners, you know that's the way that Stan would be able to work on multiple books at a time with different artists, you know, who are working on characters that he created. And to Luke's point, those characters are so well defined; they sort of leap off the page themselves, and underneath the kind of expert marksmanship of a of a of an artist, you know, Stan was both a writer but also an editor. And as an editor, he really empowered people to do their best work. And for Luke and I, a lot of that is what it comes down to, whether we're writing it in the case of alliances, orphans, or if it's somebody else we're collaborating with. You know, it's something that comes sort of naturally to us, but it also comes out of a decade for us working on alliances and a decade prior that, you know, was Luke's relationship with Stan. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very fun thing. And we work in different mediums too, Luke and I. We write in film and TV and, and audio dramas and we do different kinds of work. And you know, one of the things I love about entertainment, you know, as a as it grows, is like the community aspect of it. So, yeah. like, you know, that's well, the fun yeah, part. Yeah. Now we can do this on Zoom. And it was something, as something Stan said early on. So, yeah, I before we started, you asked about the day I met Stan. The day I met Stan, I was a film student at NYU, and he agreed to sit down for a interview I was doing for my junior year documentary project about him. And so I just literally sat him down and asked him every question I could think of as a story, as like a 20 or 21 year old storyteller. And I asked him specifically about collaboration. He said, you know, collaboration is the best thing in the world, provided that you're collaborating with the right people. And then he proceeded to sort of, you know, you have to, you have to choose your collaborators carefully and they have to work with, with what, 
you know, your vision is for the project. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're trying to write a song, you need a guitarist that is playing the kind of music you want. And once you get really good people, then you have to trust them and you have mm -hmm. to kind of build that relationship. And I'm kind of going through this now, this is outside of this project, but I've got a, a movie in production in Europe on the Red Sonja character. And I was, during the development project, I was kind of micromanaging everything during the development process. But like, once it got into production, you have to kind of just let that arrow fly mm. and, you know, hope it hits the mark. Because if you love something, you have to let it free. Like you have to kind of let it be its own thing. You have to let other creatives feel like it's theirs too. Because mm -hmm. if you're too controlling and they just feel like they're just kind of doing a gig, then you're not going to get their best work. You know, it's got to be their mm -hmm. story. And they have to feel like that. So, and that was, I mean, nobody was better at that than Stan was, you know, he yeah. was kind of, and that's why he was able to do, he was so prolific because he was expert at finding his collaborators and he knew how to like give them runway to make characters their own, so to speak. You know I mean? Obviously mm -hmm. as, as collaborators, I can tell you that when Stan felt like you were off the mark, he let you know. <laughs> oh yeah he would not shy about that but you know still he, he didn't like micromanage he would he would like let give you the room to create and then he would you know tell you what was wrong with it and throw out half of it and keep the parts that he liked and you know that was just kind of the way he he operated you know an editor i love the shout out to editors because unless you work and if, unless you've seen behind the scenes of film or TV or publishing, you don't really appreciate editors. I mean, that's the make or break. I think they should get all of the Oscars <laughs> and all of the Emmys and all the awards because truly that that's huge. So it's so interesting to hear that that is what Stan was also really good at. Because personally, I just think of him as, yeah, this incredible storyteller. He was the editor-in-chief of Marvel for, I mean, from what, the 60s to the mid-70s? Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, well, even before then, I mean, well, well, when Marvel was created, but I mean, he, his, this is a, I, as a comic collector, I get like very frustrated by this because nobody honors his first editorial credit. <laughs> he gets his first story credit in Captain America three in 1941. Okay. His first editor credit is in Captain America 12, which is the first appearance of the imp, which means like nothing to me. I'm like, this is the most iconic event in comic history. Captain America 12, Stanley's first editorial project. Oh, wow. <laughs> Learn something new today. Okay. I guess I probably just raised the price on Captain America 12 by like, <laughs> like yes. probably checks eBay later today. Well, we're kind of talking around it, and I knew the conversation was going to go here, but let's officially go here. Please tell me as concisely as possible, only because we'll get into this for like 17 hours, if not. Tell me about working with Stan Lee. And specifically, I want to know what is the nugget, you know, now that he has passed, what are you, what have you kept with you? I don't want to say like, what's the number one thing he taught you, but what's what have weird. you kept? What's weird is that I actually, a lot of it, like a lot of it was, okay. A lot of what he told me when I sat down in that first interview as a film student mm -hmm. kept coming up. Like it was, mm. it became like a mantra. And like, when you go back, I'm like, oh my God, like he, he was just, that was, that nugget was right there. You know, one of the main things he would, you know, when you're a young creators, one of the things you get excited about 
is, you know, some really cool setup or set piece that you have, or like some big sort of visual idea. And Stan would always, you know, he's like, yeah, yeah, great. We'll get to that later. Focus on the character. Mm. You always bring it back to the character. If, if, the, if the audience cares about the character, if they're invested in the character, if they relate to the character, then they will follow that character anywhere. If they don't really care about the character, then it doesn't really matter what, you know, what spectacle you have going on around the character. It's all just, you know, sound and fury signifying nothing. It, it all ultimately comes back to creating characters that people can relate to and that people want to learn more about. And yeah. once you have them hooked, they'll, they'll go on the journey. So that, that was, that was one of the nuggets. And we learned that, I mean, he, he beat that into us early in the process because we were get so excited about like, you know, ideas that yeah. weren't necessarily, he just kept bringing us back, bringing it back, you know, and, and if he had an idea for a character and you didn't focus on the heart of the character that he just created for you, he would ignore everything else and just bring you back to, no, no, this is the character. This, tell me their story. Like what are, here's where we need this character to go. Like this is, you know, and so this sort of emotional journey of the character is the engine that drives everything. Mm. That would be, I would say, one of the main nuggets. The other thing is that you were talking to literally the most experienced storyteller in the world at that point. I mean, he was yeah. in his late 80s, early 90s throughout this process. So he had kind of heard every version of every story ever. So the hardest thing to do, like, and he would struggle with it too. Like he used to say, the hardest thing to do is come up with something new. Mm. The stories have been being told now for thousands and thousands of years and sort of every story that could be told has been told. So all you're trying to do is find some new way to look at it or some new angle. And, you know, that would be, that would be, I, I could see the, the, the hardest thing for him to do. And he would, he wouldn't accept a story if it didn't feel, if it felt warmed over, like he wouldn't accept anything less than something that felt fresh. Mm. That's so good. And I mean, look at Marvel. It's like that could have very easily become a super lucrative warmed over of several characters and several stories on and on and on. And yet I'm a huge fan, so I'm biased, but it's like, it doesn't feel that way. It really does still feel fresh every time. I think Kevin Feige really took the Marvel method to film. I mean, that's, I think, I think he learned some from Stan's. Because I mean, the whole MCU is basically an expansion of, of, the comic book universe that was being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I also think it comes down to like, for me as a person who, you know, just wanted to create and move my fandom to creation. Like, you know, when you're sitting, sitting with Stan, for me, sitting with Stan was a big deal. And, you know, I was nervous about, well, is the right, is, is this idea good? Like, you know, should we work on a little bit more Luke before we talk to him about this one concept and then you know it kind of goes away because when you start talking to stan you realize that he's a fan of mm. everything well it was well, it was a fan of everything like if it was classical music or you know old films or radio serials which is one of the reasons we debuted through or edgar, edgar, original edgar Allan poe huge edgar Allan poe like <laughs> it, was, it, it, it was like the, the obvious and then the not obvious and then he would draw from all of those 
ideas. And that's how he built a lot of these characters. And that's how we would build a lot of our characters together. It's like things that I'm a fan of. I don't need to be, you know, afraid to open up my fandom in the room with Luke or with Stan or with any of our creators, because it's like, let's all bring our fandom into the space. And that's how we're going to create something different. I mean, mm-hmm. not necessarily original, not necessarily new, but definitely different because well, listen, uh, if you're but, passionate uh, about something, your passions come out through your work. It reminds me of something else he said, which was that like he didn't create, he didn't really necessarily create for other people in the sense that like he wasn't trying to write what he thought you would like. He Mm. wasn't, he was just writing stuff that he liked. Like, and he figured he liked it. Other, you know, chances were other people would like it too, you know, but he he was writing, he was writing for himself, so to speak. And that sort of goes along with what you're saying is like, you could be, open up about your fan, the stuff that you like, like you don't have to be nervous about whether other people like it. It's not that like best materials yeah. come out. Mm. Yeah. And he proved that certainly he proved that yes, other people did end up liking what he likes. I would love for you to speak more on that because I, what I'm hearing is this is a good way to get over imposter syndrome or the thought that this has already been done and there are no new stories. So why does my book matter? Why does my graphic novel matter? Why does my film matter? Like I said earlier, we have a lot of aspirings, myself included. I'm an aspiring author. Tune in. And for anyone listening that's like, yeah, it's exactly what they said, the dark side of nothing is new. So why should I still create? What would you say to that? One is like, look, we were fans of Stan. At some mm-hmm. level. So, you know, we were, we yeah. were drawn, I mean, he was sort of his previous work was the inspiration in a lot of places. So it, I, I don't think you can't, you can't tell a good story if you're not a stu- student of storytelling. Like mm-hmm. if you don't have fandom, if you're not steeped in, and even the particular story, I've worked with people on this character who may have been excellent in other aspects of storytelling, had didn't have a clue how to tell a Red Sonja story because they didn't, they weren't fans of the genre, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so you actually have to be, I think, steeped in the kind of storytelling. It's like, you're not going to try to write a blues song if you don't listen to blues. (laughs) Be ridiculous, right? That, that doesn't mean that, you know, so I think it's, it's perfectly fair to lean into that. I think you still do need to figure out what makes my story different from all other stories, so to speak. Like what is your story still needs to stand out as unique in some way. But the fact that, you know, every story has in it the sort of inherited knowledge of the storyteller. So, you know, and every, every person is a product of everything that they've seen, felt, heard throughout their lives. So, you know, that, that's going to come into you. I mean, that, that shouldn't prohibit you from, first of all, let's start with different. Nothing should prohibit you from telling stories. Like don't overthink it. Just write Right, 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 right. Get it out. Then you'll start to rework it. I mean, we a lot of our work with Stan and thereafter is kind of in the rewriting process, mm. right? And you just spill your guts out onto the page and then you start to refine it and like make it make more sense. And then you, then you start asking yourself questions. Is there a more unique way I can do this? You know, but you should never, I mean, writer's block, I've, Fortunately, I've never really been hit with writer's block, but I don't believe in it. I don't believe in it. Just, just write. Just like, just get it out on the page. Doesn't mean you have to show it to other people yet. Just get it mm-hmm. out. It's out. Then start to 
you know, start to mold the clay a bit. And then you should ask yourself the question, how is this different from everything else? I mean, that is a, a valid question. But it shouldn't be a block to getting it out in the first thing. Yeah, we're going to get a lot of emails about, well, he doesn't, what do you mean? It's, I've been dealing with writer's block for seven years. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not a, I, I, I definitely, definitely, like it's the greatest supervillain in the world certainly is, it used to be Clippy, but they got rid of Clippy and Microsoft Word. You know, he was a little <laughs> helper in the back. And, and, so, and you Gen just Z like does stare not at know. No, nobody knows Clippy. Nobody knows Clippy. Well, it's, it's, like Markdown language, but with a little guy who was a paperclip and he was <laughs> by somebody in Bill Gates's company cool. to torture writers because we would stare at the blank page and Flippy would show up and say, do you need any help like to learn how to use Microsoft yes. Word? <laughs> it's like, yes. no, no, I don't need any help to know. I just need a really original idea. So <laughs> I've struggled. I struggle, I struggle with that a lot. But, you know, it's to Luke's point. If you remember, I, I think about the Stan idea of the fandom aspect of it. Like, and you know, when you're collaborating and it's you're and you're alone in that room, you're the best audience. You're the best writer at that moment. You're the best editor because it's only you. You it's only it's all you have. Or if you're making a movie and you're a producer, you're the best director. You're the best writer at that moment. Then what you do is you hire better people. Like that's just what you do, right? So you hire better artists. And I'm not a good artist. I'm gonna. Hire, it's pretty easy to hire better artists. But like, you know what I mean? Like this con, this concept goes the whole way of a cl any collaborative medium. You're just basically giving up control, like what Luke was saying, every step of the way. So it's not always going to be you alone in the room. And even if you're not into like hanging out with other people and that is what, like you like, eventually you're going to have to share it with at least one person, whether it's your, you know, family member or your, you know, significant other, mm -hmm. then they're going to be your audience. You're not going to be your own audience anymore. And I think that's where Stan was really good at and that's certainly what helps me unlock some of that writer's block it's like there's going to be somebody else who's going to eventually read this because i'm creating this for me first and then for somebody else to mm -hmm. share in that experience and you know that's in filmmaking that's the audience in a theater slash streaming living room or in books it's you know you're getting that book and you know you're cozying up in the subway do cozy in subways nowadays? I don't know. <laughs> I do. It's fine. But like, you know, you're in that you're you're in that you're in that relationship with the reader in a way that's very, you know, it's a very personal relationship between author and, and, and reader. For for Luke and I, it's in, in specifically with orphans, you know, we didn't know who was going to, going to be our artist. You know, we were creating, we had written a lot of this with Stan, you know, many years ago. Mm -hmm. And we we're like, oh, like, how do we imagine this? Like, what kind of artist? Who? How do we find that artist that's in our brains? And you know, we thrown out some names, and one of them was Bill Sinkovich. And you know, incredibly, he came on to paint, you know, one of Stan's, you know, last writings in comic books with us. Mm -hmm. And you know, we found mm -hmm. Sliman Kudronski, who's like this incredible Polish artist who's been killing it in the modern comic book scene, and like together finding two artists was something that was like something that we could do in this graphic novel that I thought oh, was so cool. We got lucky. And, yeah, we and, got, and we got lucky. Yeah. Bill actually, mm -hmm. when you're saying artists in our head, I mean, Bill's, you can't really imagine what Bill's going to do. Mm -hmm. uh, Bill just, yeah. he's, he's got, like I said earlier, a wild imagination. So he, he surprises you in wonderful ways, which is also something you kind of want from a collaborator. And Sisman did that too. I mean, Sisman had, 
in some ways because Bill did the prologue and Sisman did the next 140 pages. So wow. Sisman had kind of a bigger story to tell mm-hmm. and kind of keep in his head. And he and and our and the story was a bit wild. So he he did a really good job of kind of keeping us you know, telling a grounded story visually, even though it's in a, at a cosmic scale. The other thing I would say that Stan taught us, and I actually learned this also, I was thinking back at NYU because we were talking. So the people who tell you how wonderful your writing is are not necessarily your best. I mean, they might be your friends, but they're not wow. necessarily the ones to listen to. Mm. Like, you know, your mom's going to tell you that you're really talented and everything is awesome. And you may be really talented, but this may not be your best work. And like, you need people who are merciless. Like you have to be merciless with your own writing. Stan was absolutely merciless. Like he did not have, like if he, if, if it wasn't working for him, he would just, he would just say so. And that was the end of it. Now he was solution oriented. That's the thing. You mm. don't want people who are just going to take a dump on your work. You want people who are going to give you, you know, constructive feedback. But I remember in my first like three weeks at NYU film, they used to take our scripts and laminate them, put them up in front of 25 vicious film students for every, for the whole class to tear apart. And what was yeah. useful with that was it, it just kind of, it, it like gave you a thick skin. You stopped taking stuff personally, you know, I mean, even if, even if it was personal, even if like, cause they were competitive. So sometimes some of that was in bad faith, but the point is it was just, it was a, uh, it was a process of kind of breaking down your barriers and, and getting you to get used to the concept of feedback. Mm. And, you know, that was something obviously, Dan being such an experienced storyteller, he could see exactly where things were like, he knew what he wanted. He knew what the assignment was, so to speak. Like here's this, here are the characters. Here's, you know, he knew what we had just talked about and he was merciless with you. He was also merciless with himself. Like he Mm -hmm. could be self deprecating if he thought some, you know, that idea wasn't the best one you ever had. Like he was, he just was searching for the best story. And if, and it, and it like, it's not, and if an idea, people get very attached to some certain idea, maybe it's their contribution and a collaboration and they feel like threatened in some way if their contribution is on the chopping block, but it's really a matter of what's best. It's a Socratic method, right? It's a matter of what's best for the story at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and that needs to be, people have to kind of take their egos out of that equation a little bit and, and just allow the best story to them. Mm, easier said than done, but solid, <laughs> solid advice. I have to let you guys go and I don't want to yet. I specifically have questions about Critter. My notes say a being that's equal parts monster and puppy. I have a pug <laughs> and I'm like, does one of them have a pug? Because that's definitely. You would need to have three You would need to have three eyes. Okay, yeah. maybe that's my <laughs> Halloween costume this year. I want to end with this though, and y'all have been so great and so generous in your knowledge and fun, and I'm supremely jealous of the fact that you worked with Stan for so long. I did get to meet him, dear listener, and that I will keep with me forever. But what would you say to anyone listening right now who's in specifically perhaps an aspiring graphic novelist or comic book creator specifically for them, they've got that story in their heart or in their head. What would you guys, what would you give? Out of your head, not to mm. First thing I would do. 
you know, you are going to have to collaborate on a story unless you're a writer who's also an artist, which is a very rare thing. People are one or the other. So mm -hmm. you need to find the right, you need to find an artist who, you know, so to speak, plays the kind of music you're trying to write. And that is not an easy thing to do. You know, you're the, the biggest, the best piece of advice Stan ever gave to me was if you think you've got something, you just mustn't give up. You have to just mm -hmm. keep working at it and hoping sooner or later someone will recognize what you've done. I mean, there are artists who go many, many years who they don't get recognized till later in their careers. But Stan was my age when he started really blowing up. He was in his, you know, early to mid forties. He mm -hmm. was, I mean, he was, he was, he was a working writer at Timely, but like he wasn't Stan Lee. He wasn't Stan Lee yet. Yeah. Some odd years of his career, you know, or more. And so it's something that it's not, people seem like they're overnight successes. Usually they're not. Usually maybe the success happened overnight, but they've been at it for, you know, and I, it's, look, it is, it's a, it's just, it's, it's a lot of work. So you're going to, you have to love, you have to love it. Orphans took us a year, Ryan. Mm -hmm. Well, well, I mean, if you're including Trader's Revenge, which is the prologue, yeah. you're adding de you're adding another decade onto that year. So, <laughs> yeah. Overnight you know, success, yeah. 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 It's, but that but that's it. Like we look at this overnight success thing constantly. Luke and I are talking about it, and I think it's like not only was Stan refining his work in 25 years of comic books before he created the Fantastic Four, X Men, and Spider Man. 25 years, you know, of mm. comic book writing, not even just writing. You know, this was not you know right off just you know, fresh off of you know an MFA program, ready to go write you know the first <laughs> American novel. And for us, it's the longevity. It's also the reinvention. And I think what was really cool about my understanding for like from Stan as to how to kind of translate your work into reality is like you know he nurtured the community around him constantly. He was out there talking to colleges. You know he was making letter pages. To interact with fans and even if you're not you're somebody who doesn't like who's like allergic to like hanging out with other people like it's hard, it's important to like always know that you weren't even if you don't want to like engage you know directly with other people in your kind of creative process it's important to know you're not alone and you're not alone in creating and you're not the first person to come up with these challenges and that there is a support network out there for you should you ever want to seek it out which is mm -hmm. you know could be your artist collaborator or it could be you know just a friend who gets you you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, it's a very personal journey to be a, a creator. It just is. Yeah, that's so good. You're not alone and you mustn't give up. I mean, mm -mm. we'll take those two to the bank. Y'all, please tell us where can we find orphans? Where can we find you guys? This is the plug part. Let me have it. <laughs> Ryan, plug away. <laughs> oh, no. I don't. That's not the part I like. Orphans <laughs> is available now in bookstores and comic book stores everywhere and you can find luke and i on social media it's through dynamite comics so if you want to check out dynamite which is i think a dynamic forces you could find out all the news about orphans and you know future projects we might be doing there and for me it's at ryan silbert so you'll find me yeah and I, well i think the book comes out october 5th right this will i think this comes out after October 5th. Okay. We, we usually release it on your actual pub date, hence the name, yeah. but somewhere around <laughs> that, yes. And it's available yeah. everywhere. I mean, it, you know, Amazon, on Dynamite site, at any, at, you know, comic book stores near you, 
It's called Alliances, Orphans, and uh, it was design- It was a fun ride to write and create. It's going to be a fun ride to read and consume. You know, tell, give us your feedback. We love interacting with the community. Tell us what you thought of it. Awesome. Thank you both so much. This was so much fun. Shout out to you for our first graphic novel guests. Now I'm going to like, my brain is spinning with, okay, we got to get so many other people on here. This is going to be awesome. And congratulations. That's a huge, anything getting to a pub date is a really big deal. We respect that. We honor that here. We hope that the ride has been fun and that the launch process has been as fun and as not stressful as, as possible. And congratulations. Thank you. Thank you.